LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. Hey, everybody. Before we jump into Ask Me Anything for today, I want to tell you about a company named Belay. You know, no matter how many people that you have on staff at your church, whether there's a few or a lot, there's only so much that you can accomplish in a day, right? Your church exists to serve your community. So the mission of your church and its staff is to reach as many people as you can. That's why productivity is not just a, a business practice. It's essential. It's essential in, in being the best steward of your time that you can be and to use the most of your church's resources in being successful in the things God has called you to. Thankfully, our friends at Belay know this really well. Belay, an innovative staffing solution with over 10 years of experience serving churches, has successfully matched thousands of organizations with part-time virtual assistants, bookkeepers, and social media strategists. You, you thought, you know, I, I need somebody, but just not, not, not for the whole time. Well, they're your partner for this. That's why they're offering our listeners a free download of their resource, Church Leaders, Essential Strategies to Unleash Productivity. Let Belay help your church live its mission in your community by helping you juggle less and accomplish more. Just go to Belay, that's B-E-L-A-Y, solutions.com slash Lifeway for your free download. And now I hope you enjoy Ask Me Anything. Hey everybody, uh, welcome to Ask Me Anything. I'm Matt Love, and we have a really special series of episodes for you starting this week. And for the next four weeks, we're going to have uh, a guest, Rebecca McLaughlin, joining Pastor JD. Rebecca is the author of a number of books that are really excellent, uh, Confronting Christianity, 12 Hard Questions for the World's Largest Religion, um, is her most popular. And if you have not read this book, um, you are really missing out. It, it is a great book, especially if you're a fan of this podcast. The way she answers these really difficult questions that Christianity has to deal with is just extremely helpful. She's also just recently released 10 questions every teen should ask and answer about Christianity, which is a version of her, her other book kind of geared towards teens. So that's exciting as well. So get that for your middle or high schoolers. And then she just released another book, unbelievable, The Secular Creed, Engaging Five Contemporary Claims. So I don't know if Amazon has one of those things where you can just buy them as a pack or something or, you know, do whatever, but but get those three books. They're, they're really excellent. She's amazing. And this conversation was actually recorded as, as kind of a long form conversation, but we've just split it up into four questions and answers that she and uh, Pastor J.D discuss. So today, Pastor JD and Rebecca are going to spend a few minutes talking about the traditional approach to defending our faith versus current questions people are asking. What's the solution to thinking differently? I will warn you though, just right off the bat, spoiler alert on Harry Potter. So if you have not read Harry Potter, uh, there's going to be a lot of spoilers in this. So I would go ahead and, and either skim the books real quick or just uh, skip those parts. But if you haven't read those books or watched the movies, honestly, you probably had enough time to do so. So we'll go ahead and hop in and let's join them right now. So Rebecca, one of my favorite parts of your book, Confronting Christianity, is where you take the most epic scene in the most epic series of our generation, the Harry Potter books, and you use that as a metaphor for really what Christian witness or what Christian understanding is like. First of all, do you get any kind of hate back from, you know, obviously giving a spoiler in that moment? <laughs> I have occasionally heard from people who weren't happy 
And I'm assu- I'm just going to go ahead and say publicly right now that I'm totally on your team because I was like, if you haven't watched the movies or seen the book or, or yeah, read the books by now, you're probably not going to do it, right? Well, or now is your opportunity. Right. We're just going to give you so a good. teaser. It's yeah, coming. Exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I got some, some grief one time because I used... Um, I gave that I gave the, the conclusion of a Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, right. and I got all kinds of like hate mail back about spoiling it. I'm like, look, it's been 157 years. <laughs> yeah. If you haven't watched it now, then then you're gonna watch it. But anyway, why don't you take that because take that metaphor because I, I for me, just like showing how 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 that applies to our our mm. understanding. Was start mm. there. Well, for those of you who don't know the series in, in Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince. So and by the way, can I just say it sounds so much better when you say. Harry Potter with that deep Southern Alabama accent that's right. that you have. That's right. <laughs> uh, I'm actually reading the books to my ten-year-old uh, and eight-year-old right now, and we're just in between the setup for their story and the the reversal. So it's kind of an exciting moment for me. So in Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, you have Dumbledore, who's always been the the hero of the series. He's kind of like the Gandalf of the Harry Potter series. He's the only man whose power for good can really match Lord Voldemort's evil. And yet in book six, he's standing at the top of the astronomy tower. He's weakened already. He's surrounded by his enemies. And he appeals to Harry's teacher nemesis, Severus Snape, for help. He says, Severus, please. And Snape kills him. And it's a completely devastating moment because we've never really liked Professor Snape. But we've hoped beyond hope that he was actually on Dumbledore's side. And now his betrayal of his mentor is complete. It's only then in, in the last book of the series that we see how wrong we were. When Harry dives into the, the pensive, the, the magical bowl where you can see into other people's memories. And there we discover that everything that Snape has done has been driven by his passionate, hopeless, unrequited love for Harry's mother. We, we see Snape's anguish when Lily Potter is murdered by Voldemort. We see how he eventsforth commits himself to Dumbledore. We hear Dumbledore telling Snape that he is dying from the slow workings of an irreversible curse and actually makes Snape promise to kill him when the moment comes. And suddenly the meaning of Severus, please is reversed. One of my favorite moments in the whole Harry Potter series is right at the end, where we see Harry taking his own son onto the Hogwarts Express, and he's nervous about which house he's going to be sorted into because he doesn't want to be a Slytherin. And Harry bends down and says to him, Albus Severus, he, he's, I've named you after two of the bravest men I ever knew. And his second name is after Severus Snape, who was the guy who for so long Harry thought hated him and stood against him and in fact he was the guy who was protecting him all along because of his love for Harry's mother and I think we have an opportunity today to to find comradeship across entrenched difference and differences that have, have built up hatred and misunderstanding over over generations and decades I think we have the opportunity today to find gospel of commonality across those differences and to be shoulder to shoulder together with some of the bravest Christians who we know who may be coming out of the black tradition. And right now in our cultural moment, when, when our non-Christian friends glance over at the Christian faith, they see a lot of things that look like Snape killing Dumbledore. They see a, a white-centered religion with a history of racism and scriptures that condone slavery. They see an anti-intellectual mindset and a contradictory Bible that's been disproved by science again and again. They see homophobia and the denigration of women and a refusal to acknowledge that love is love. But I think just as, as when we understand more of Snape's story, we find that it's not a story of hate, but a story of love. I think when we look more closely at each of these seemingly kind of devastating roadblocks to faith in Jesus, they actually become a signpost to Christ. And I should probably add, those are statements that, 
you think are misperceptions about yeah. what, right? Yeah, I think they're misperceptions, but they're ones that our non-Christian friends have, you know, some valid reasons for concluding that about Christians. Yeah. But I think when, when they actually, if we can help them to look more closely, they'll find that things which they thought were reasons to not be followers of Jesus actually become reasons to be followers of Jesus. Hmm. Yeah, so let's, let's, let's spend a little time there. Mm. How has, like, defending the faith in our generation, how has that changed? Because I felt like when I was, you know, in high school and college, um, just three or four years ago, it was all about, um, you know, like proving the resurrection or mm. proving that the Bible's contradictions weren't really contradictions. How has it changed in our culture now? Mm. I think today, whereas a, a decade or a couple of decades ago, Christians would often not find themselves in conversations feeling like they were being judges sort of dumb for believing Christianity or deluded maybe, as, as Richard Dawkins wrote his famous book um, coming out of my country, The God Delusion. I think today Christians more often feel like they're seen as immoral by their non-Christian friends. So as you say, rather than the questions being mostly around, you know, is, is Christianity true or did Jesus really rise from the dead? Or can I take the Bible seriously? Hasn't science disproved Christianity? I think those, those reasons are all still there and important. But actually, the, the front foot of conversations is often more, well, what about the history of racism? What about how Christians treat LGBT people? Um, what about yeah, Christian views on sexual ethics, which today are seen as not only misguided, but actually harmful and morally dangerous? So I think that's where the conversations are more often at and where we as Christians need to have a more compelling apologetic. So one of the things I feel like we hear a lot is that Christianity is a a white man's religion and basically it's attempting to colonize or it's trying to uh, just reinforce cultural norms everywhere how, how do you respond to that i think there are two major problems with the statement that christianity is a white man's religion uh, one is that christianity has actually always been majority female <laughs> from the very first to the present day the other is that christianity has always been from from the scriptures onwards a, a multiracial, multi-ethnic multicultural movement we see that in, in Jesus' own life. We see that when he commissions his disciples to make disciples of all nations. We meet the, the first black Christian in the book of Acts, the Ethiopian eunuch of Acts chapter 8. We see in, in the book of Revelation that people from every tribe and tongue and nation are worshipping Jesus together. So it's actually a core Christian ethic is, is love across racial and ethnic and cultural difference. And we see that played out in the global church today. People often associate Christianity with white Westerners, but actually today, Christianity is not only the largest, but also the most diverse belief system in the world, with a, a essentially even spread of people from Europe, North America, South America, and Africa. And with the church in China growing so fast right now, that while it's currently the global center of atheism, experts think that by 2030, there'll be more Christians in China than in America. And some experts even think that by 2060, China could be a majority Christian country. What's more, by 2060, people expect that about 40% of the world's Christians will be living in sub-Saharan Africa. So at a global level, it's indefensible to say Christianity is a white man's religion. From the scriptures, it's indefensible. And actually, if we look at America as well, we find that, that black people in America are almost 10 percentage points more likely to identify as Christians than their white peers, more likely to go to church every week, to read the Bible, to pray, and to hold core evangelical beliefs. Uh, yeah, I've heard you say um, that immigration, whereas many people look at immigration like it's somehow going to under undermine the, the Christian uh, influence in our nation, mm -hmm. you, you have a different perspective on that. Yeah, immigration is, is actually a, a much needed blood transfusion for the American church. 
And we've seen people coming from Latin America and, and planting gospel-centered churches here. Uh, we see people coming from Africa and, and doing the same. I live up in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and in Somerville, which is the adjacent city, English is the third most commonly spoken language at evangelical churches after Portuguese and Creole. Now, ironically, the kind of immigrant that you want to worry about if you're concerned about America's Christian heritage is white Europeans like me, because we're some of the least likely folk to be bringing the gospel. But I, strangely enough, I'm not, I'm not actually treated as an immigrant in America in the same way that, that some brothers and sisters of, of color are. So thank you guys so much for joining us today. Come back next Monday for the next part in the conversation between Pastor JD and author and speaker Rebecca McLaughlin. Have you listened to the New Churches Q&A podcast with Daniel M., Ed Stetzer, and Todd Atkins recently? Because if you are not, you really should. It's part of the LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network family, and they've recently covered really helpful topics like creating core values, hiring and firing, and things to consider when inheriting a building, which actually I didn't know they had that episode, and I'm going to go download that immediately. So just look up New Churches, two words on your favorite podcasting app. Subscribe today. Um, and if you've been enjoying the Ask Me Anything podcast, we just want to hear your feedback. Or if you haven't been enjoying it, we want to know why you don't enjoy it. We would love to hear your feedback. So head over to jdgreer.com slash survey. And we have a five-minute survey that would be just extremely helpful for you to fill out and tell us what you like, what you don't like, how we can improve. Um, we really want to, to hear what you guys think, and we're extremely grateful for you. And we'll see you next time on Ask Me Anything.